Uh, I'll be teaching us this evening from the passage that Callum read earlier. So can I actually invite you to turn with me to that passage, Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to study verses 11 to 18. So Ephesians chapter 2. Well, this is God's word, so let us pray to him for his help uh, so that we might understand it and understand him. So let us, let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that we, as we sit here in this building, we sit underneath your word, and we bow you to its authority. And so we pray this evening that as we study it, that we would be faithful to your word, and therefore faithful to your gospel. We pray that as your Holy Spirit works in this place and as your word goes out, that your people would be comforted and that they would be rebuked. We pray that our sin would be identified, that we would be drawn to repent of it, but that we would be pointed to Jesus, in whom there is grace and mercy. We pray these things not simply for our sake, but for your name and for your glory. Amen. Well, this evening, we're looking at a passage which tells us what it means to belong to the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we're thinking about. What does it mean to belong to the church of Jesus Christ? Well, to help us get into this passage and to think about this, I want to begin by asking you a few questions. And I want to ask questions really along one theme. And that theme is, have you ever felt unworthy to come to church? Ask yourself, have you ever felt unworthy to come to church? For instance, maybe because of the way that you used to live. Perhaps you're sitting here and you feel that you don't really belong in this place. Maybe there have been mornings or evenings that you've hesitated to come out because of something you've done, either that morning or that day or or that week. Maybe a decision that you've made that goes against God's word or an argument you've had or a lie that you've told, and you're sitting there uneasy. Maybe you don't feel or haven't felt worthy because of your mood. I'm too angry to come to church too grumpy, too sad. Or maybe even there have been times when you just haven't felt close enough to God to feel that you can come in and worship him. Maybe it's not something you've done, but perhaps it's another something someone else has done, something that they have said or that they do to make you feel unworthy. Perhaps in comparison to others, you feel that you can't come to church because maybe you don't have the right things to wear. Perhaps you're worried about the behavior of your children and you're conscious of people looking at them and and, and thinking about you because of them. Maybe you don't feel like you can come here because you're a blue and you haven't been here all that long and and, and so you you don't think that you could get involved or serve in the same way others do. Or maybe even for whatever reason, people make you feel like you don't know enough. You feel like you just need to lay low, sit at the back, sneak out, 
I'm not worthy to come to church. Well, if you've ever felt any of those things or anything like those things, then this passage is for you. Because in this passage, Jesus tells us what he has done for us and how because of his gospel, we can all be part of his church. As we divide this passage into two points, we're going to see this in two ways. We're going to see that he has, first of all, brought us peace with God, and we're going to see the implications of that. And then we're going to see that he has brought us peace with God's people, and we're going to see the implications of that. If you're taking notes, don't worry, we'll put these points up as we go along. But let's get into the passage and see this, see what Jesus has done for us and how we can be part of his church And we see this in the first point, you'll see there, that he has accomplished peace with God. And we see this in verses 11 to 13. And in this point, we're going to see that there is nothing, nothing you can do to be included in Jesus' church. There is nothing you can do to be included in Jesus' church. As you can see there, we're going to see this from verses 11 to 13. Where if you cast your eyes down, you will see that Paul reminds the Gentiles in this Ephesian church that the reason they belong to Jesus' church is not because of who they are, but because of what Christ has done. Let's have a look down and let's see this, because this gets to the heart of this point. You see how Paul begins in verse 11 by reminding the Gentiles in this church who they were. Have a look. You'll see there just how desperate their situation was. Look, you see what he says? He reminds them, first of all, that they were born Gentiles and therefore outside of God's special covenant with the Jewish people. The sign of that covenant, as you can see there, was circumcision. That's why he he mentions it. But keep your eyes on that passage and look particularly at verse 12. He goes on to describe how bad being a Gentile was. He says there, doesn't he? He says that they were unable to know God's saving king, the Christ. Then it says that they were excluded from the nation of Israel. And that means being excluded from its laws and its priests and its kings and all the blessings that came with it. It says they were foreigners to the covenant of the promise. Do you know that promise where God promised the people of of Israel that he would be their God and, and they would be his people? That promise doesn't apply to Gentiles. And all, all of this ultimately has rendered them without hope and without a relationship with God. Paul is laying it on thick here, isn't it? In, the, in these two verses, he's really building a case about how bad being a Gentile is. But the reality is for these Gentiles is that there is nothing they can do to change their status. They are outside of the covenant. They are not historically part of God's people. And because of that, there is nothing they can do to make themselves part of Jesus' church. I don't know how this strikes you, but as I read it, and indeed as I say it, it sounds like pretty terrible news, doesn't it? It's it's pretty negative from Paul. But actually, that's the point. It's not good news. It's not good news that they cannot do anything, that they're completely helpless, that they are far from God. But this is the point that Paul wants to make. He wants to tell them there's nothing they can do to become members of Jesus' church. But what they can do is trust in Jesus. 
That's what verse 13 says, isn't it? Have a look down at verse 13. You see what Paul tells us there about what Jesus has done? You see, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Keep your eyes on that verse, and and, and you'll notice this language here of being brought near. Being brought near is is biblical language uh, uh, used uh, for coming into the presence of God. You might be familiar with it, but you would read it in the Old Testament particularly concerning uh, when a priest would go into the temple of God. Do you know when that happened? It happened once a year, didn't it? And in order to do that, they had to make a sacrifice. Only then could they come near to God. But do you see what Paul here is saying in verse 13? He's saying that because of Jesus' blood, even Gentiles can draw near to God. And you see, this is the gospel. This is what we call the gospel in church, that people who were dead in their sins, as we read at the start of the chapter, who are dominated by the devil, who are damned by God, might find peace with God and enter into his presence so that they might worship him. That's the gospel. That those who are without hope and without God, through Christ, have hope and are in a relationship with God. And see, this is where this passage applies to us because, well, in case you don't know, we are Gentiles. We were born, weren't we? We were born spiritually dead. And by the nature of the entirety of our being, we were at enmity with God. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has died for us. And through the spilling of his blood, the penalty for our sins has been paid for. God's wrath against our rebellion has been absorbed. And rather than being cut off from the Lord Almighty for all eternity, we have been brought near. We have entered his presence. And now we are able to worship him as we were created to do so. Do you see the good news in this passage? There is nothing we can do to make ourselves part of Jesus' church. Only Jesus can bring us near to God. And you see why Paul reminds the church or the Gentiles in Ephesus of this and why he reminds us of this. He tells us this because we're quick to forget it, aren't we? I think we're quick to forget it in two ways, actually. I think there are two traps that even today Gentile Christians like us fall into. I think we fall into the trap of thinking too much of ourselves And I think we fall into the trap of thinking too little of ourselves. Let's think about these each in turn, and hopefully you'll see what I mean. First of all, the trap of thinking too much of ourselves. And to illustrate this, I want to talk about a phrase that I hear, or I've certainly heard quite a lot, and I don't know if you've heard it, but I've heard it quite a lot. And this is a phrase where I hear people describe Northern Ireland as God's own country. I don't know if you've ever heard Northern Ireland described that way. And I don't think the people who say that have thought too much about what they're saying. But I do think that it is an insight, or it tells us that there's a a general feeling among our people that we are quite special. 
And we think quite well of ourselves, don't we? And to be fair, this can easily happen. We can easily, as Christians, look at God's grace towards our church and towards our culture and think that God has been good to us because of who we are rather than because of who he is or what his son has done for us. And I think this feeling of, of feeling special can translate into the church. I, I know people, maybe even myself included, who, who can, can imagine themselves saying, whenever I ask them, do you belong to the church? They say, well, of course I belong to the church. I always have. My parents belong to the church before me, and their parents before them, and As I look at my children, I know that after I'm gone, they'll be here too. And In fact, I would go as far as saying that even if the walls were to fall down around us, we would still remain. You see, I think it's easy for us to think too much of ourselves. But we need to see, don't we, that there is nothing we can do to make us members of Jesus' church. I think there are also some of us who think too little of themselves. And again, I, I think this is easy. And this is, comes back to some of those questions that we asked right at the, very, at the very start. Remember some of those questions I asked you? Perhaps I asked you if you've ever felt unworthy to come to church. Whether that's something that you've done in a past life, you feel like you don't belong here. Or whether you've ever hesitated to come out because of something you've done this week. Maybe even have that feeling now, something you did this afternoon that made you hesitate before grabbing the car keys to come out. Maybe you felt that you're not holy enough to come out, to join as in us with us as we sing and read and pray. But I think this is us thinking too little of ourselves. And there are many more reasons, many more reasons for us to think less of ourselves. But the good news of this passage, we need to remember that there is nothing you can do to be included in Jesus' church. You see, in each case, we need to remember, we need to not look at ourselves, but look at Christ. Remember what he has done. And what does the Bible teach? The Bible teaches that if we are continually repentant of our sins, if we strive to trust Jesus for our salvation, then we can come near to God and we can worship him. I think the root, understand, root of this problem is a misunderstanding of grace. It's something I've been thinking about quite a lot and I think it applies to this passage because grace is at the heart of it. That's what the, the start of chapter two is about and I'm glad Callum read that because our passage continues on, doesn't it? The word therefore is in verse 11. It's a continuation of this theme, grace. But I think the heart of this problem is a misunderstanding of grace. I don't know if this resounds with you, but I think sometimes we think that grace is the thing that starts off our Christian faith, but that it's up to us to keep it going. Do you know what I mean? We, we think of grace kind of as like jump-starting a car. I don't know if you've ever had to do that. Do you know we think grace is that thing that gives us the initial push down the road? But it's up to us. We've got to turn the ignition. We've got to drive away. That's not grace. That's not grace. If we're going to take this illustration, metaphor, wring the life out of it, then, well, grace is the driver and it's the car. 
lethargic. We would get newer in our faith. And that's what this passage is reminding us. It's, it's teaching us what grace is. It is teaching us that Jesus has done it all. Isn't that what it says in verse 8? For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And, not, and this, not even this, is from yourselves. It is the gift of God. And grace is what we need to remember if we fall into either of these traps of thinking more of ourselves than we ought or less of ourselves than we ought. What we need to do is remember that there is nothing you can do to be included in Jesus' church. Jesus, by his blood, has done it all. He has brought peace with God. He is the one who brings you near to him. And because of his sacrifice, we can worship our almighty God. There's nothing you can do to make yourself part of Jesus' church. Jesus has done it all. So trust in him. Let's look at our second point, shall we? The second thing that Jesus has done, he has brought us peace with God's people. You'll see there in this point that we're going to see that there is nothing anyone can do to exclude you from Jesus' church. There is nothing anyone can do to exclude you from Jesus' church. And we see this, if you have a look down, you'll see this from verses 14 to 18, where Paul moves to a particular issue in the Ephesian church. And it's an issue that he's really been dealing with throughout this uh, passage, and indeed, we've already seen it in chapter 1. But it's an issue between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Like I said, this is mentioned throughout the letter, but it's also mentioned in our passage. If you need proof for this, uh, this conflict between these two people, have a look at, at verse 11, for instance, where Paul addresses the Gentiles, uh, the Gentiles who are called the uncircumcision, and then this other group called the circumcision, who of course are the Jewish Christians. But this division is there, it's present in the early church because of the law of God. And the law of God prohibits Jews from worshipping with Gentiles. In fact, the law of God prohibits Jews from interacting with Gentiles on any kind of level at all. But this, this was a misunderstanding of the gospel. But it was causing great strife within the church and great hostility among its members. And so Paul writes, he writes this whole passage to remind the church in Ephesus what Jesus has done for them and how because of his death, no longer should there be Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, but Christians. Well, like I said, we see this in the passage. So let's, let's have a look at it. In fact, let me read it again. And, and, and notice from verses 14 to 18 how often the words peace and hostility appear. Let's have a look. Verse 14. For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. It's clear, isn't it? There is hostility 
between these two groups of people, between those who are established members of God's people and between those who are new to the faith. But as we look at this, we're going to see that as before, the solution is not in us, but in Christ and in his gospel. Have a look again at the verses and we see what Paul says Jesus has done through his gospel. Have a look down, you see what he says? He says that he says that Jesus came to destroy the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. To take down, verse 14, the dividing wall of hostility. To destroy the law which forbade the two to mix. To make the two one. Verse 18, so that both may have access to the Father by one spirit. It's very similar to the first point, isn't it? It's all about the ability to draw near to God. It's all about worshiping God. Except in this point, Paul wants us to see that if you are in Christ, then no one can exclude you from worshiping God. I say that, and I apply it to us, and I recognize that this is talking about Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. But I think the step from first century Ephesus to whatever we are, what, I don't know what we are, 21st century Rich Hill, I don't think it's too big a step. Because instead of thinking about Jews and Gentiles, I think we can think about those who are, who are historically part of God's people and those who are new to the faith. Or we can think about those who have belonged to Rich Hill Presbyterian Church for a long time. Or people like me who are really just here for a few years. And you see, because we are sinful people like those in Ephesus, we're going to struggle in the same way they struggled. As before, I think we struggle with this in two ways. I think we struggle by falling into the trap of thinking too much of ourselves. And we struggle by falling into the trap of thinking too little of ourselves. Again, let's take these in turn, shall we? The trap of thinking too much of ourselves. Well, I think one of the ways that we can fall into this trap is by forgetting that we're Gentiles. Do you know what I mean by that? Whenever we are so used to being God's people that we forget how we were born. One of the ways I see this is whenever I, I, and I talk about myself in this as well, when we talk about the world as if the world is this evil place that we just cannot dare go because it will contaminate us. It will destroy us. I think we're at danger when we talk about the world. We're in danger of thinking that we're better than they are. But this passage reminds us that the only difference between us and here and those people out there is the grace of God. That's the only difference. But there's a danger, isn't there? When we think too much of ourselves, we think that those people out there do not belong in here. I think there's a danger too for those who count themselves part of the covenant people. You know what I mean by covenant people. It's a, it's a reformed term that we use, a part of reformed theology to describe, describe the church. And covenant people are, are people who believe that God has extended a blessing upon them and, and, and their children. 
This is one of the reasons why we baptize our children as infants. We, we acknowledge God's blessing on their lives. This blessing, as you know, is not necessary that the infant would be saved. But they're brought into this immensely privileged position where they get to hear God's word taught, where they get to pray to him, and they get to worship God. Now, this is an entirely biblical principle, and it's a, it's a biblical thing we're doing. We're, we're, we're right in doing so. But the risk of, of being a covenant person is that we exclude those who are not. And we can easily fall into the trap of being hostile towards those who are not like us. We can look at them and think, they're not Presbyterian. What are they doing here? They've never been baptized. What are they doing here? The person's not a member of this congregation. I don't, know, don't think that person has contributed just as much as we have. I don't think they've served or given as much financially. Actually, as I look at that person, as I look at their life, I think, well, you know, they say they're a Christian, but I don't know if they mean it. Those of us who are covenant people or who have been Christians a long time, it's very, very easy, isn't it, to exclude others. I think this also comes with our age too, doesn't it? I think it's easy to, to make divisions because of our age. I think it's easy if you're an old person to think, you know, maybe I don't belong here. I think it's easy if you're an old person to maybe look at the younger people and say, do you know those people, they're just not serving the way that we served. I think it works both ways. I think it's easy for young people to look at old people and think, do you know, they just, they're just not as on fire in their faith as, as I am. They, they maybe don't know how to worship as we know. We're sinful people, aren't we? And we can think too much of ourselves. And when we do so, we exclude other people. So I give those illustrations, I give them deliberately because they're man-made things, just like verse 11 says. See what it says there in parentheses in verse 11? Those things done in the body by the hands of men. We're excellent, aren't we, at, at, at creating man-made walls of hostility? But this passage says they have been knocked down by the grace of Christ. I think we can think too little of ourselves as well. Remember the questions we asked at the very beginning? Have you ever felt unworthy to be here? And maybe intentionally or unintentionally, you feel that other people are excluding you from coming. You maybe wake up in the morning and you open your wardrobe and you think, I can't come to church today. I've got, <laughs> I've got nothing, nothing to wear. Maybe your children are, if you're anything <laughs> like mine, and you're thinking, oh, this is, oh boy, I'm not sure I can bring these, bring these rascals out this morning. What are people going to think of me? Or maybe you're new here and you haven't been here all that long and you think to yourself, you know, there's, there's some, they, they need help with something, but I just, I'm just not sure. If I were to volunteer, I'm just not sure how that would go down. We feel excluded. And sometimes we're guilty of making people feel that way. But do you see what this passage says? It says that if you are in Christ, no one, nothing 
can exclude you from being part of his church. And no one and nothing can exclude you from worshiping God. This is the gospel, isn't it? This is what this passage is about. It is pointing us to Jesus Christ, to what he and he alone has done for us. And if I encourage you, as I have been doing this week, that if we have neglected this, then we need to repent. If we have excluded someone from worship by our words or by our actions or for our lack of love for them, then we need to repent of that. If we've not trusted in Christ and his grace alone, then we need to repent of that. If we think that we're here because of our own ability or our own standing and the covenant people, then we need to repent of that. But we need to know that God's grace is given you every day. And God's grace is what we need to take us home. But likewise, if you've ever felt unworthy, if you've ever felt that you cannot come here, well, let me, if it's been me, apologize to you if I've ever made you feel like you do not belong here. But let me encourage you to see the gospel. Let me tell you that if you are repentant of your sins, if you understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you, if you trust him as your savior and Lord, then you're in him. You have received God's grace. And you can come near to God. And you can worship him not in who you are or what you have done or because of what people think of you. You can worship him because Jesus' blood was spilt for you. And you can join us in one spirit to worship our God. I hope you see how this passage is important. It seems like a, an age-old division in the church, doesn't it, between Jews and Gentiles. And easily, I mean, you could easily read this passage and think, oh, it's telling us that we need to get on better with one another. And, and that is true. But I want us to see this passage is about Jesus Christ. It's about the gospel. It's about what he has done for us. And so let me encourage us, as we will do in a moment or two, to finish by praising him for what he has died for us. Before we do that, let us bow our heads and pray and let us give thanks to him for his grace and his gospel. Almighty God, we recognize that we are a sinful people and we often fall into the trap of thinking too much of ourselves and too little of ourselves. And we even find ourselves falling into both traps all the time. We're not necessarily in one trap or the other. But we pray that we would not, we would not look at ourselves any longer, but rather look at you. Look at your gospel plan and your son. And we pray that as we think about being part of Jesus' church, that we would know that it's not anything that we have done or not done or what people think about us, but because Jesus has brought us near through his blood. We have peace with our Father in heaven. We are no longer at enmity with you, and we are at peace with one another. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would unite us, unite us in Christ that we would not exclude one another or exclude anyone from the world from coming into this place and worshiping you, but rather that we, as we go ourselves to Christ, that we would point others to Christ too. 
so that the world may know that this is a place that exists because of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We pray for these things for his name.